Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 280 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 5th. 2013. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. USC Fall Camp is now open for business. We're going to talk about the first two practices that we saw, and of course, practice will continue on throughout this week in the next few weeks. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions to get to, so if you have any questions for us, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call at 206 888 67 and you can also leave a voicemail on peristylepodcast.com. That's our website. Uh, we normally have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. He's taking the week off, secret assignment. We'll get him back next week after he's been to a couple practices and talk about him about what he saw out there on Howard Jones Field. But we're going to have a, a full show with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber and myself talking about the team. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Oh, they're great. Can't wait to get started talking about them. Yeah, there's lots to get to. I got a, a call early this morning from uh, Mark Willard over at ESPN. He does those updates on Colin Cowherd's show and asked me if I'd come on and talk about the quarterback battle. Obviously, only two uh, two practices in, but we, I think we got some interesting information yesterday. I mean, I know you were there on uh, Saturday, and it looks like Cody Kessler did the best that first day, and, and Max Wittick probably had the best day on Sunday, but too many turnovers overall, and uh Lane Kiffin kind of reemphasized that he wants to see these guys in game situations. We're not even going to see that until Thursday when they do a scrimmage. But maybe get your thoughts on what the, the quarterback situation is right now, Dan. Well, you know, I think uh, every time Lane talks about it, it sounds like he's talking about Cody when he talks about, you know, game manager and, uh, you know, extend the drives, uh, you know, make uh you don't have to make the big plays but you just don't want to make the bad plays and that kind of thing and huddle management but uh uh you know i think there's been a market improvement in uh in max wittick in in terms of all the things that uh you know i think last year the talk was well cody's got to improve on his bigger you know make a bigger have a bigger arm throw the deep ball and max i think realized you know i've got to not just depend on my big arm try to throw the ball through people and uh I think the weight loss, he went from like 244 to 229 has helped him. Uh, the emphasis on, you know, not throwing the ball away means, you know, these guys will tuck it and run, and Max has done a pretty good job of that. And on the deep ball, he's, he was telling me the other day, you know, he's really worked to feather, not just fire it through there like, you know, he's throwing a javelin, but to, you know, feather that thing and let it, let guys run under it and make catches. So, uh, I think, you know, there have been, you know, the kind of improvement you, you really want to see. And, and uh, obviously, Max Brown, you, you know, there's not a better freshman in the country and getting bigger and stronger, which people wanted to see, and probably put himself in a position where, yeah, this, you know, this guy could be the backup. And he, and he could go out there and, and win you a football game. Uh, just a, you know, smart, you know, kid and a competitive kid and advanced kid and, uh, you know, got an awful lot of skills. So, uh, you know, I think it's unfair to probably say, 
well, how did they handle the, you know, the rush with the defense? And if you're going against the, the first guys, although, you know, the second guys were pretty tough. You know, now you see, uh, especially uh, without pants, you see guys like Jabari Ruffin and Scott Starr coming off the edge. And, uh, you know, they got a lot of quickness too. So in these kinds of drills, I'm not sure, you know, the offense has a complete fair uh, opportunity to show what they can do until they put the pads on. Are they going to put shoulder pads on today? And I'll be kind of interested to see how that goes because I think the the offensive guys, even though they got a little bit of a jump on the first day, they got it rubbed in pretty hard <laughs> yesterday. And, uh, you know, you'd hear the defense on the sideline saying, make them run another lap, make them run another lap. Every time there was some kind of a screw-up, uh, you know, they wanted to see the whole team have to run a lap. Uh, so uh, I don't think the offense, you know, t- took too kindly to that. And it, it happened in the spring, and they came back fighting. And uh, that's what you want to see. But uh, but as much as people are focusing on that quarterback thing, I think the thing you got to look at is uh, how athletic and active and aggressive this defense can probably be. And this is the kind of thing I think USC fans have kind of forgotten about how you win games with, with defense, where you, you know, where you are able to pretty much take teams out of their game because of the way you're playing defense. And this team may have a chance to do that. They're awfully athletic, and they've got an awful lot of guys that can run to the ball, uh, even the big guys. Uh, and, uh, you know, Clancy Pendergast's uh, way of doing things, he's got them moving on every play. He got guys coming and coming from different places and different locations and different uh, ways of getting there. And uh, the kids love it. Uh, so, so that would be my number one focus more than the quarterbacks. I think we'll know more about the quarterbacks after we've seen them for about a week and we've seen them in pants. Uh, good stuff. We're going to talk more about the defense too. Gets We're going to get to a bunch of these questions now. And I apologize. We do have a lot of them. So, Dan and I will try to get through these quick. But we did have one more on the quarterbacks. And I think this one, Dan, this is a voicemail one. I think some of the fans kind of feel like this. And, and maybe you can share what Max, what it can do to kind of combat this. But let me uh, play the question for you. Hi, Ryan. This is Al. Um, I have a question for the coach. Uh, being that we've seen Max Wittick in the UCLA game, the Notre Dame game, and the um, Georgia Tech game, and it seems that he can't get the job done. Um, shouldn't we go with the likes of Cody Kessler um, and not with the guy who just looks good during practice? Uh, we need a playmaker. We need someone who's going to be a leader. And uh, I think that it would be a safe bet to either go with Cody Kessler or Max Wittick. I mean, Cody Kessler or Max Brown. Um, I think we've seen enough of Max Wittick. Um, he's a, a practice quarterback, but he doesn't know how to uh, make that transition to the to the football field. What do you think? Well, I, well, I think the issue was that was a team in a terrible tailspin when Max Wittick got there last year. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Max Bar- and, uh, Matt Barkley was you know really was was having his troubles. And if you would have evaluated Matt Barkley on, you know, a couple of those games toward the end, you'd have said, gee, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that was the product of the team, of the way they, uh, you know, game planned and called plays and the, all the things they thought they couldn't do. They couldn't run the ball efficiently. Uh, you know, and then teams, he came in 
after the Arizona game. And in the Arizona game, after Marquis Lee goes for 375 yards, USC and Pac-12 record receiving, uh, teams decided we aren't going to let you do that to us ever, ever, ever again. And the logical response, the way teams were playing uh, to stop, uh, you know, Robert Woods and, and, and Marquise was, uh, okay, you're going to do that? We're going to run it at you. Heck, we're going to line up and run, run it right at you. USC couldn't. So then, now you can't run it and you can't throw it. So it almost doesn't matter who your quarterback is. If you can't run it and you can't throw it, what are you going to do? Uh, so that's when Max Whitt got there. So he probably, uh, you know, was not given any kind of a fair, you know, situation. It's obvious when you hear about how the, you know, the Sun Bowl game went down that uh, that they did a really pretty poor job of preparation, you know, for that game and handled everything about it not well. And so I prob- I, I think I would not uh, overjudge what happened in the in the in the two games, uh, you know that Max started. I, I think he didn't have, you know, the benefit of a lot of things. I think he's, he's learned from it. I think USC's learned from it. I think to have, you know, hope for this year, you have to hope that USC, the coaches, have learned from what happened last year. And I would certainly give, you know, a kid like Max Wittick the, uh, the opportunity to do the same thing. And he has. He clearly has. He's, now, whether that, uh, that makes enough of a difference in terms of Managing the huddle and handling the really complexity of the play calls and all that kind of thing, you know, we'll see. Uh, Cody's a pretty natural leader. You know, he's a guy that'll tell you, I just don't get jittery. I, I just, I just never did. I don't, I, you know, doesn't stuff doesn't bother me. Well, that's a, you know, that's a pretty big asset to have, you know, in the huddle. So, but. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't think, for example, when 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 uh, Matt Leinert was picked, you know, out of out of we thought out of a hat uh, to be right. the quarterback. <laughs> we didn't know those were decisions. I mean, it, those were certainly not. Uh, it was certainly not a decision that was made on the practice field. We were flipping coins. But uh, according to Norm Chow, Matt was so much more focused in and in control in those quarterback meetings, and he basically got picked. Uh, in the quarterback meetings, and when he got to take over, and that was a new Matt Leinart. I mean, a guy we hadn't seen. Uh, so I think you know it, it's probably hard to hard to say. Uh, whoever the quarterback is, he's going to be a new quarterback, and it'd be a new Max Wittick if if it's Max. Uh, so uh, it, this may be one where you know you can say, oh. Uh, uh, future performance, you can always determine by past performance. This may not be the case. Uh, this may be one where they're kind of starting over. All right. Uh, let's go to Martin, and he had a question. Do you see Kiffin using a big offensive line package when inside the 10-yard line and running the ball or staying in with the regular package trying to throw for touchdowns? In the spring game, I didn't see any big offensive line packages when in short yardage or first down near the goal line. That's from Martin. I think um, I see more Wildcat with Trey Madden <laughs> picking a spot is, is where, I, where I see him going uh, to some extent uh, if you're going to talk about big package. Uh, I, I think, you know, the offensive line they got, it, it, 
you know, I, I don't know that they're going to have to do that. You know, maybe, you know, you, you go with two tight ends and, or do you bring in a, you know, a tackle to, you know, to play the other, you know, give you a second tackle. Uh, you know, I, I, that's a good question. And I don't think we, we have a clue as to what they're going to do on, on short yardage, especially goal line short yardage situation. I think regular short yardage, I think you're going to see the 2011 uh, Mark Tyler shotgun, which I, for what all we can research, they never stopped him one time. USC didn't come up short in short yardage uh, shotgun once that year. And what a difference, you know, that makes. That's just, you know, no handoff. And you got to, you know, Mark Tyler was about 220, uh, not as quick as, as Trey Madden. And uh, he was just, you know, it was, it was very difficult. And that was, you know, mostly the same offensive line. Uh, obviously, no Matt Khalil, but uh, but I think you'll see that. Uh, what else we're going to see at, at short yardage? I don't know. I don't know that they'll throw the ball, uh, you know, the same way. Although I think that's one of the things, say, a Cody Kessler does really well, is that short possession pass uh, where you throw, you know, you run a stop route at three yards or whatever, the kind of thing that last year teams pretty much had to, you know, interfere with, with Marquise, to, you know, to keep him from, from catching the ball. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> sometimes still couldn't get it in. You know, they, that Notre Dame game where you get, you know, back-to-back, you know, interference calls and still didn't, uh, still couldn't pound it in. I think this year they'll be able to pound it in. Uh, speaking of pounding it in, I guess we can talk about the offensive lineman a little bit uh, from Melvin. Do you think Zach Banner and Jordan Simmons have developed enough to start getting some quality playing time, uh, you know, this season? What are you? What are your expectations for those guys? Well, I think ex- expectations of Coach Summers is to be able to use those guys a couple of series a game to give the, um, you know, I think they're they're planning to have the ball more, run more plays, and uh, you know maybe be able to rest the, uh, you know, the first-line first, first line guys a little bit and get these guys some experience. So I think that's the goal. I think they've got, you know, five or six kids that you could say, hey, they can play. They can play in a game. And I think they're going to try to do that. How they would do that, whether you'd work in, you know, two at a time, one at a time, uh, what exactly, the, you know, the rotation pattern. And that's something I think they really have to, to get done right this year and, and didn't seem to be uh, handled well at all last year, you know, among other things that involved uh, game management, sideline management, that kind of thing, clock management, personnel rotation, I think has got to be pretty high on the list of, of um, how they're going to do it. But I, I, you know, I think, you know, Coach Summers really would like to get, you know, you got a, you know, Chad Wheeler fighting with, uh, with, uh, you know, Kevin Graff at that right tackle spot. You've got an Abe Markowitz who could back up in all three uh, inside positions. You've got uh, uh, Nathan Gertler, big and strong, you know, 6'6 six, six now and 295 at left tackle who just looks like a player. So you got guys, you know, all along there. Uh, uh, Giovanni DiPella, he looks better than we've seen him. He's healthier and, you know, a veteran. Uh, so, there's a, you know, I think significant uh, improvement in, in the offensive line depth and the way they're going to, you know, uh, game plan to use those guys. 
All right. Uh, let's see. We can go to uh, Steve in Poway. And he he sent an email about, uh, said he thought that last season's offensive woes had a lot to do with the, the lack of depth at the tailback position. He said no running game makes you throw the ball a lot more, can hurt the defense because you can't run the clock out, puts more emphasis on the problems that the offensive line was seeing. And he thinks that this year can be a lot better because they'll be multidimensional, really because there's a lot more uh, depth at the running back position. Do you agree with him? And what do you think? Yeah. And I think not only depth, uh, I think uh, we're finding out and we were pretty sure of this, but that Silas Red was never healthy at all last year. You know, uh, he just didn't have the burst. He kind of said, you know, where do you see me this year? Uh, Curtis McNeil kept getting dinged up. Uh, there was no Trey Madden, uh, DJ Morgan, probably. There were a couple of games where he looked like he had his burst, but uh, I think that's a big uh, – one of the good things is it makes having the kind of depth and the bodies you've got back there. I mean, you know, yesterday Buck Allen, you know, got a couple of other, you know, pretty decent runs. You know, kids six one, two fifteen, and 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 real good burst. Uh, but uh, Trey Madden and Justin Davis um, were the, you know, best looking guys. Uh, you know, on the offense certainly on day one. Uh, uh, you know, and you look at Ty Isaac and uh, big and strong and athletic. 6'3", 230, uh, whether DJ um, still knee still doesn't look, you know, completely right, and Silas hasn't been, you know, released to, to go all out yet, but says he's very close. Uh, I think that changes a lot of things, but uh, they were running with, uh, you know, guys that really weren't healthy uh, behind an offensive line that really wasn't getting the job done, so that was a bad, uh, a really bad combination. So if they can come out, right away and just run the ball when they want to and when they have to. They've got to be able to do it in both both cases. And if the opponent knows that they can run it on us when they want to, when they have to, that sets up the play-action passing game so much better. You know, those defensive ends can't come in there, you know, firing at that quarterback. If, that, if there's a really good chance he's going to hand the ball off to one of those big running backs up inside the, you know, outside tackle or inside that, you know, uh, that rush in, and uh, it slows down the rush, gives USC more opportunity to do things in, uh, in the play-action passing game, which was really a staple of USC for so many years. And then last year, you know, you can't play-action pass if you can't run the ball. So, uh, so that'll, I think you're right. You know, the running backs, one of the reasons that makes Lane feel so good about having this stable of running backs, and he keeps saying it's the best in seven years, is that uh, it allows them to throw the ball when they want to. And if you ever watch, if you ever watch that three minutes and something highlight on YouTube of the USC Oklahoma game, what you saw was those poor Oklahoma guys in that secondary, all Americans and you know number one draft picks. Every single play they had to come up. You would watch them and they'd take one or two couple, you know steps toward the line of scrimmage uh, to support the run. Because if you've got, you know, Reggie Bush and Lendale White, you have to think run. And the next thing you would see on the film was, you know, Steve Smith or one of the tight ends running past them because here they are taking a couple of steps up and, uh, and they're screwed. And uh, I think that's, that's how they're trying to set this team up. I don't think there's any question. Run, run, play action. Run, run, play action. And... Uh, 
And I think they, you know, they think they, they've got a good chance to be able to do that. All right. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the defense a little bit, Dan, before we get to a couple of questions. Um, just want to get your thoughts. Have you, I mean, it, just yesterday, it just seemed like there was so much pressure on the offense that they just didn't really know what they were doing. It just there was so much they didn't know where it was going to be coming from. And I know there's no pads and everything like that. Um, but have you seen, does it seem like it's even a little bit better than what we saw in the spring or any difference there? And what, you know, what were your thoughts on what, what no, you saw? No, it's better because they've had all summer to work on. I think the, where it's better is you see linebackers, uh, the inside and the outside, you know, four guys who've been out there all summer working, uh, you know, coordinating all the things that they're doing and, and all the different packages together and who's coming and where they're coming from and who's dropping off and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, uh, much more coordinated now. I think they really had a good – I think I was listening to Mike Ecker the other day, and somebody said, wow, those linebackers look good. And he said, oh, they ought to look good. He said, they had a, had a really good summer. They're feeling very good about them. I'm having Mike Hutchins come in at, uh, you know, 226 pounds and taller than – you know, I think I saw him in the fall, and I thought, it's, he doesn't look like the same kid. And he's got all that deal of Sal – you know, uh, fundamental, you know, stuff and the way he tackles and approaches the game to give him, you know, four linebackers who can, you know, play inside with, uh, you know, with uh, an improved, really improved Lamar Dawson and Anthony Sorio and then uh, and Hayes Pillard getting a chance to be Hayes Pillard and, and do what he does so well. And so, uh, uh, and then, you know, coming up with a couple of guys like, um, you know, uh, Jabari Ruffin and uh, Scott Starr, who looks really healthy and big and strong, and both of them are 240. And those two are, you know, backing up the Morgan Breslin and, um, and Devon Kennard. It's a kind of a, a good rotation. And to add to have the, you know, that's basically eight linebackers who are pretty athletic and uh, just – you know, seem like they really, really know what they're doing and they're doing it full speed and they can run to the football. I mean, I think one of the things that it looks like is you're really going to have trouble running wide on this team. I don't think you're going to have much luck at all running to the sidelines. They're going to run you down. They've just got too many, too many athletes that are, you know, quicker than your athletes. I think the key is going to be when teams try to line up and run straight at them, uh, how they're going to, how they're going to hold up. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of athleticism there. You've got, a, you know, Leonard Williams, who just loves playing, you know, the five technique uh, as a defensive end, which is what he played in high school. And, at, you know, 6'4", 290, and big, long arms and strong hands, you know, and just can grab people. Uh, uh, having, uh, you know, him and both he and George Eco are going to try to play the same way. That gives you, you know, two, 290, 285-pounders out there who are, are not down in the trenches all the time. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, a Cody Temple at, you know, 312 or whatever he was the last time who's just explosive and got a little bit of a mean streak. Oh, really kind of a neat kid. But had two years where he hasn't gotten to do anything. And I think his development has really pushed Antoine Woods, who was out in the middle of the sun, sun and, and it was the last Thursday, on, uh, you know, outside McKay with a weighted vest on, running cone drills with Kevin Green, all by himself, all by themselves. There's been a lot of that. And then Kenny Bigelow comes along, gives him one more. Uh, you know, they've got at least seven or 
so guys that they can probably rotate to those three line spots. So uh, they just look, they have a whole different look, look about them, even from the spring, I think, just because I think they're really much more in tune with, with uh, uh, what they're trying to do and how it works for them. And I know I, I was asking Cody, uh, uh, excuse me, Clancy the other day, I said, if you came in with a, just a blank sheet of paper and you looked at, okay, here are the players that I have. Here's how big they are. Here's how fast they are. Here's how experienced they are. Here's what they can do. And you had to design a defense that would make the best use of all of their talents. What kind of, what kind of a defense would you, would you design? Would it be your defense? He said it would be. You know, and that's almost just, a, you know, not all, just a completely a lucky break, but the fact that the way he wants to play almost perfectly fits the players he inherited. It doesn't get, you know, sometimes it happens like that. <laughs> and I think in this, with this USC team, it, it may have happened like that, that, that this is, uh, you know, I'm not sure that this is a great team to, to play the way Monty wanted them to play, but this may be the perfect team to play the way Clancy wants them to play. And sometimes you get lucky like that. And obviously that was probably a consideration in, uh, in hiring Clancy and the fact that he's done quick turnarounds really well at both the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals and at Cal, where, you know, they went from like worst to first in a year, you know, uh, defensively. So I think that kind of is the hope. I know, Clancy's pretty optimistic in that the turnaround can happen. Uh, none of them are predicting anything, but I think they, they feel like they really got a shot. Um, all right. Well, sticking with the defensive theme, Martin had a question, and it's kind of, I guess maybe it's a follow-up to what you just said about what Pendergast said, but um, he said he's talking about the 3-4 defense, the base version of 3-4. Do you think that's the new defense to slow down spread offenses? which half of the offense are alike in the Pac-12. And you see the Pac-12 conference becoming known for its defense as well as their offense. No, I think the thing about the 3-4 the is, and Clancy really said he preferred to call it the five, you know, 52, and he said basically he considers all five guys, even the two outside linebackers, as first-level players. So they're on that first level of defense. So you basically, instead of four players on that first level, you've got five. So that sets the edge a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit wider, and it also gives you more athletes uh, in place. You know, those outside linebackers that they're going to play as a defensive end, you know, they're you know six three two fifty in Breslin and, and Kennard, or you know six three two forty in, in the case of the backup. But uh, those are athletes that can probably play in space maybe better than your your forty four four defensive defensive ends would who are down uh it also gives you the ability to play maybe a little more athletic guys like leonard williams uh who can overpower uh you know people that they're playing against uh when they're set out there a little wider and you know you, you've got to have uh you know a nose tackle you don't need a you know a monster but you really do have to be able to you know obviously like with somebody like oregon they'll run it right up the you know the gut if they can and uh you just have to be able to make that play at the line of scrimmage. But uh, I do think it's better suited uh, to stop the, uh, you know, to stop the, uh, the spread. And, uh, and that was certainly a consideration with, uh, with hiring Clancy, that, that he was familiar with the Pac-12, 
and familiar with, you know, all the various kinds. He said it's the only place when you look at the Pac-12, you see something different almost every week. Uh, everybody's got their own version. And uh, and yet you're also going to have to play a, you know, classic, you know, power, knock you off the ball team in, in Stanford, for example. I mean, it's just, it's everything you could imagine in one, one conference, and it's something you don't see in any other conference. So you really do have to get your defense, uh, you have to get your defense squared away. And uh, after, you know, last year of Pete and, the, you know, three years with, with Monty, that, you know, that really wasn't happening. And uh, we, they, they certainly think it's got a chance to happen this year. Uh, one more on the defense. Uh, Kevin in South Orange County. He's with Falky up here now, and the adjustments to the five-two defense upon us. Breslin and Kennard are really stand-up def- or stand-up ends, meaning they'll rush the pass, uh, play the run, and also drop in the coverage. Of those three duties, I'd say coverage is both of their weak points. I'm guessing opposing offenses will put their running backs in the flat a lot and uh, run a lot of screens against us to this year to try to take advantage of that weakness. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know. Guys throw around words like weakness. Uh, awfully, you know, quickly. To be honest with you, Devon Kennard might have more preparation to play that position, having had to do what he had to do as a middle linebacker for Monty and get 30 yards deep. And, you know, I still remember that Hawaii game where he got 32 yards deep on a 35-yard completion deep middle. And you thought, you know, people will say, geez, he got deep. He got 32 yards deep. You know, I mean, he was uh, so... He's actually played a lot of coverage. Uh, uh, Morgan, it'll be more of a challenge. I, you know, I wouldn't classify it one way or the other. Uh, and if, if teams decide, okay, that's how we're going to try to beat you, that may not be, you know, that's kind of what USC was doing uh, last year, where, you know, they, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. Well, let's try this little, you know, if they throw bubble screens, well, we'll see, or whatever kind of screens. Uh, uh, so I, I think that's, you know, to be determined. They have done an awful lot of coverage work in the summer. I mean, that, they were out there every day. They ran more plays than the offensive guys did against the offensive guys in coverage. And they're both really, you know, they can both run. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, guys. You, say, and you see the field better standing up and uh, – I think they look pretty comfortable doing it, so I'm not. I'm not probably ready to to say that. Say you know it's a weakness. I'm not sure. You know if you go one, two, three, it might not be three, but that's probably what you want. Uh, you know your um, your linebackers to you know to do the other two things first, and then uh, and then play pass. But I think they're going to be uh, you know pretty comfortable out in space. So they really worked at it a lot, and they worked at it against good receivers. So. Uh, it, it was a big point of emphasis for those guys uh, this summer. Uh, all right. And, uh, let's see. Let's go to David. Um, this is more about uh, Lane Kiffin and the job security thing. He says, despite Pat Hayden's comments about Lane Kiffin's job security, uh, most people would agree that if you win, you stay, you lose, and you go. With that being said, how much do you think the other coaches, most notably Clancy Pendergast, uh, align themselves with Lane Kiffin. Is there any way Clancy or some of the other new coaches could try to distance themselves from Kiffin in the event the season starts to slip away, thus improving their chances of remaining should a new head coach arrive? That's from David. 
David has had a very lot of time on his hands this summer. Thinking, <laughs> thinking those thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, who 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 knows? That's that's so far removed, probably from uh, one of those guys thinking. You know, I think my guess is all the new guys got you know multiple year deals, and uh, and uh, for their own career goals. This is a really big deal, a really big year for guys like Clancy Pendergast and and Mike Summers and and Mike Eckler and Tommy Robinson. This is a big deal uh, for the opportunity they've got this year, and and you would be surprised at how non Machiavellian a lot of these guys are. That basically it's today's practice, it's today's film, it's you know all this you know today's installation. Uh, it it you know isn't way down the road with something like that. I mean, because basically, if you're thinking those thoughts, you're thinking things are going to go south. And, and these guys, you don't go into this business thinking things are going to go south. Uh, so I'd say probably not. But uh, I, you know, because it's so not able to matter to us or, or for us to even discern, discern whether it. it it's any kind of a factor. It would probably be one of those things I would maybe cross off of my things to think about list for the 2013 season. Uh, that would be that'd be kind of my approach, I think. Okay, uh, makes sense. Um, we heard at uh, we had a couple of questions about Pac-12. I think these might be a little kind of leftover from Pac-12 Media Day, but we'll give you uh, here's the first one uh, voicemail question for you, Dan. Yeah, hi, this is Chris in Arizona. I have a question regarding the Pac-12 network and DirecTV, and this is sort of springboarding off of Harvey's comments from this week on the podcast. But we talk about Larry Scott and his inability or unwillingness to budge on the contract negotiations, and I wonder where the media is in all this. It seems like shouldn't it be the media's job to step in and ask Larry the hard questions about, hey, and you know, if one of the largest national providers of cable isn't willing to budge on, on this particular issue, can't you find some kind of middle, middle ground, something along the lines of what Harvey was describing, where you pay to see that channel? And, and I thought perhaps Ryan or, or Dan might have some insight as to whether or not Larry's been asked those questions, whether you know we're just taking what he's spoon-feeding to us or somebody stepped up and asked those hard questions to him. And I'd be curious to hear uh, the opinions of those folks who've been part of those discussions. Well, actually, uh, Larry tried to, I mean, essentially uh, headed off the questions because he pretty much started, you know, his Pac-12 Media Day message with, uh, you know, ditch your uh, direct TV if you want Pac-12 networks. They're <laughs> not coming around. We're not, you know, we're not going there and they're not. I mean, part of the problem is uh, to give them a different kind of a deal the kind that they want where you can either put it on a, you know, a pay TV situation or, uh, on a different tier, uh, it would change their relationship also with all the other 50, uh, you know, organizations that are basically, um, you know, in, in, you know, they have contracts with that they have an agreement that I think if they change it with somebody like direct TV, they have to change it with everybody else. Um, I don't think they can change it with everybody else. That's the, the problem. DirecTV does not feel uh, enough pressure from, you know, despite the 1.4 million, you know, viewers or members in Southern California, 
they still haven't heard. And we hear from a lot of people saying, I'm not dro- dropping my DirecTV for the Pac-12 network. So that seems to be the general feeling. Therefore, it doesn't put enough pressure on either side. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't think the Pac-12 can make that deal uh, financially for what it would cost them with everybody else. So um, I think they're in one of those places where, where it probably can't happen. Now, maybe it could have happened in the very beginning if somehow they would have approached DirecTV separately. And I don't know that they really understood what kind of a, a difficult situation that would put them in, especially with, you know, with those 1.4 million subscribers in Southern California and how that would uh, make every, you know, every time the Pac-12 says, hey, look what we're doing, we got this on, or we got a new show, or we got a new series, or we got a new, you know, uh, here are our games uh, that are coming up this year. There's a lot of people in Southern California that start grumbling and saying, well, I don't care what you're putting on. All you're doing now is telling me what I'm not going to get to see. So, you know, they're in this, you know, place where nothing probably is going to make it better unless people, you know, leave and, and leave DirecTV. But then they go to another product that people, a lot of people don't like as much as they like their DirecTV. So uh, I think it's been talked about a lot. I don't, you know, we've never gotten, they don't have to give us the exact figures on the, you know, what would the deal cost them if they went with DirecTV or how would it change their relationships with all the other providers. Um, but that seems to be the general outline of where they are, that it would change their relationship because the others would then all have to be given the same opportunity that the uh, that DirecTV is given, and that may hurt them with those people that signed up with them originally. So that's kind of where we are, and I think, you know, it's not so much in in uh, the details behind the scene. It's that they're in a place where, where neither side uh, – is going to budge. Pac-12 can't, and uh, DirecTV probably doesn't feel the need to. Uh, and then also on the TV contract side, there's also a problem with uh, Time Warner Cable and uh, CBS going on, and I wanted to play this one for you. Actually, a two-part question. That's the beginning part of it, but I'll, I'll play this one for you, Dan. Yeah, I was calling um, in regards to the CBS Time Warner dispute. And I noticed that the SC um, Hawaii game is going to be televised on the CBS network. So that being said, that might affect um, Time Warner um, customers from uh, seeing the game. Is that correct? And another thing about the linebacker, Matthew Thomas, who uh, tried to come to SC from uh, Florida State, I was wondering um, that brings the Eddie Vandross uh, situation you know, how did he? How was he able to transfer from uh, Notre Dame to uh, transfer from Notre Dame to uh, UCLA? And did they? Um, did Notre Dame let him out of his uh, sign letter of intent? Thank you. Well, uh, to take the second question first, I think the circumstances were different. Uh, Matthew Thomas didn't have uh, you know the kind of um, uh, you know family situation where everybody was together in it. You know, I think he would have had a heck of a shot if uh, if he would have had everybody in the family kind of uh, saying, you know, this is what has to happen, uh, let him out, you know, let him go. Uh, at least he could have 
you know, appealed it, but uh, not having that, and uh, it wasn't wasn't a comparable situation. And I I think from what we understand, there may have been other things going on with the Notre Dame recruitment of Eddie Vanderbilt that that made it a little more difficult for Notre Dame to totally, uh, you know, defend uh, uh, making him uh, miss a year and, uh, you know, sit out because uh, they weren't going to release him from his national letter of intent. So I think the circumstances weren't the same, but, uh, you know, (laughs) like anything, you know, involving USC and the NCAA in, in any possible way, it doesn't seem to work out very well, does it? They didn't get Matthew Thomas, and uh, and the, their two arch rivals are fighting over Eddie, Eddie Vanderdose, and, uh, uh, you know, he ends up across town and able to play. As to the CBS, yeah, we uh, we all assume, oh, they're going to take – Time Warner is going to take care of that. But, uh, uh, you know – you hate to even think that that comes into play uh, for for the Time Warner customers, uh, you know, after, you know, having all this discussion about uh, the, uh, uh, you know, DirecTV customers in Southern California, then to find out it also going to, you know, possibly might whack the, uh, whack the uh, CBS customers. Uh, It's going to be on uh, not regular CBS, but the the new CBS sports network. And, uh, that would be a that would be kind of a bummer. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to they're going to get it worked out. I think there's a lot of posturing going on and a lot of pot shots being taken uh, at one another. Uh, it, it, it certainly looks like the kind of negotiations that do get resolved. But uh, it's and it's one more thing I'm not putting on my things to worry about list. Uh, that's like what 24 days? Heck. I can happen in 24 days, so so we'll just assume that uh, that the USC game does uh, does you know get uh, carried by Time Warner on CBS uh, Sports Network. Other than that, I can't, can't give you any can't give you any assurances. Uh, that's way past uh, you know this back and forth uh, in terms of you know when they get to these kinds of negotiations. I mean, they certainly don't sound like they're very close the way they're going back and forth, but uh, a lot of deadlines being thrown at one another and threats. But we just have to hope that USC makes it on the air that Thursday night. <laughs> I mean, it's so, you know, it's weeks away, and this is not like, if it was just CBS Sports Network, uh, that's, I think, a harder sell. But this is actual, I mean, you know, CBS, like the, the I, network. I think CBS is, Showtime and CBS Sports Network are all in that, yeah. Pack, you know, so they'd have, to, they'd have to drop them all. And uh, I don't know what would happen there. Uh, you know, would, uh, would uh, hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a workaround. I'm not <laughs> sure what a workaround would be if this is, uh, if this is still a question on Thursday the 29th. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> but keep with up, keep us, keep up with us here on the podcast, and we'll try to give you some updates on that. But I, I'm guessing that that's going to be cleared up. You're way ahead of us, so that's a really good, uh, you know, down the road look at, <laughs> at the end of the month. Uh, that would probably be the perfect ending for a rotten year for USC football fans if the opener somehow on the time for the Time Warner guys they couldn't see it. That would be like, well, okay. From here on in, it has to get better. And that <laughs> that wouldn't be a good start to, to kick off the season there. 
Um, all right. Well, Dan, appreciate you coming on. A lot of good stuff here. We'll, uh, you know, only two days into camp, but we'll have a lot more next week on the show. We'll get Harvey Hyde back, and he'll be out at practice as well. But good stuff, and we'll uh, talk to you again here real soon, Dan. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoyed it. We'll see you out of practice today. Yeah, I'll be out there a little later on this afternoon. And uh, I know I said last week we're going to try to do a Trojan Blast. It got a little crazy. We will try to do a recruiting podcast this week with Gerard Martinez again. I know there's a lot going on, though, with camp, so we'll try to squeeze one in. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. And thanks very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music